And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and said unto him, Say, See, thou say nothing to any man. But go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out, and began to publish it much, and to blaze about the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. Have you ever heard a story, and as you were listening to the story, at the conclusion of the story, you thought to yourself that that was the story that only the person telling it could have ever told well. Perhaps it was a story that comes from their own history. Perhaps you cannot imagine someone else telling the same story, that there is such an interlink between that story and the storyteller. Such a story I think we have this morning. A story that sums up the nature of Jesus, his person, his character, and his work. It's a story that we really could not see anyone else, any other human being, doing. It's a story that captures the character and the work of the Messiah. And there are many of these stories, and Mark seems quite adept at choosing them for his gospel. For certainly this story in this passage leads to the substance uh, richly describing the heart of the Savior, but also how people respond to him. To say we remain in the early part of Mark's book seems rather obvious since we have not even emerged from chapter 1, and yet with only 16 chapters in the shortest gospel, it says a lot in this first chapter. We have traced the path of Christ from prophecy to John's ministry to his baptism and his temptation to his entrance into Galilee and his calling of his disciples and lately his, the first day of his public ministry in Capernaum. And instead of continuing his work there, he leaves for the other towns and villages and the regions of Galilee. This tale that we find before us this morning happens in an unknown location. After all, the presence of a leper probably only would occur outside a recognized city, for lepers could not enter into any city. They lived outside of any society other than the society of other lepers. And that makes this whole story a bit of a puzzle. A puzzle that involves both ritual flouting and ritual obedience. But in the, the, that puzzle, we find a true balm for our wounded souls and hope in the person and work of Jesus the Savior. So this morning, I would like us to consider this passage under three headings, the purity of holiness, the peace of worship, and the price of fame. The purity of holiness, the peace of worship, and the price of fame. The beginning of this story describes the power of holy purity, its nature and its effect. It requires us to remember the laws regarding this disease and their application to these verses. 
And in it, we see the leper's trust and the master's touch. Mark displays his now characteristically abrupt style in verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. From the general statement of Jesus' ministry throughout Galilee, Mark intrudes with this new character, a character that though Mark never mentions a location, probably places the events in some empty area in a region of Galilee, some road or place outside of the city limits. This new character that Mark introduces so abruptly has a severe problem. The Old Testament laws of leprosy protected the people not only from what we now know of as Hansen's disease, but any number of infectious skin diseases. That protection required the infected to stay away from social communion. They left the city, the people, and the temple. Until the priest declared them clean, they remained social outcasts. The custom required them to remain far away from anyone that was not affected, infected. The touch of, an, of a clean person upon their body would grow a dim and distant memory. This indicates that this leper grew so desperate, so confident in Jesus' ability, and so hopeful of Jesus' compassion that he flouted convention and drew near to the rabbi. The leper who was supposed to stay far away from anyone that didn't have this disease seems to rush up, as he says, verse 40, and there came a leper to him. There drew near a leper to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him. He comes, he draws near, he prays to him, he kneels to him. If you are willing, you can make me clean. While Mark's Gentile Roman audience may not have an exact understanding and knowledge of the precision of Jewish law, they certainly knew the nature of leprosy and how horrible it would be for a leper to run up to a reputable religious leader. What a shocking event this would be that here is Jesus walking around and he is confronted with an unclean leper, even one that exhibits such faith. But that faith expresses challenges to us. The leper makes an assertion of fact. Jesus is able to make him clean. All the leper needs is the condescension of Jesus to act. The leper's statement is so interesting. He doesn't ask Jesus to help him, but by the very nature of this statement, that is the implication. If you are willing, you can make me clean. It's a statement of severe faith. Now, you would not believe, or maybe you would after hearing me gripe about them so often, the minutia that commentators will find to fight over. In verse 41, we read, And Jesus was moved with compassion. And there is one Greek source for Mark's gospel And in that codex, it doesn't read had compassion, it reads grew angry. And that one source has called several translations to choose that over the text of most of your Bibles. How one source can upend a host of evidence and the weight of history baffles me, but I mentioned to it just in case you were ever 
scouring the internet and say, hey, did you know? Yes, I do know, and we're moving on. Jesus sees this leper, his suffering, his faith, and his hope, and he feels for him. This leper lives in a broken world. And yet, that's true for all of us. But see, most of us have some means of insulating ourselves from the ever-present knowledge of that fact. This leper does not have that luxury. Every means at his disposal to insulate him from the fact that he is broken in a broken world has been ripped away. And he sees Jesus as the only one who can heal what sin has broken, who can restore him to the people and to the worship of the Lord. And so Jesus acts in a way unfathomable. Now we don't know who was there other than Jesus and this leper, but considering that Jesus had his disciples and usually had an entourage around him, us people following him and listening to him and wanting to be where he was, we may assume that he had some body around him, some company that was following him, and you can imagine the gasps. Here this leper has intruded into the company. This group around Jesus, and here comes this leper. You can just see people parting to make way from him as he draws near to Jesus, who seems to stand his ground. And he makes this statement, if you are willing, you can make me cling. And they, they hear that, that confession, and they begin to wonder if the one who can cast out demons with his word of command can, and who had healed other diseases can tackle such a fearful infection. Perhaps Jesus will say a word and cast out the leprosy like he cast out the demons. And they watch on in horror that grips their throat as they see Jesus reaching out his hand and touching the infected. You see that in verse 41, and he said, touched him and said, I will be thou clean. The touch seems to have no medicinal effect. There's no reason Jesus has to touch him. He, there's no uh, purpose to it other than the way that we have always seen throughout Jesus' healing ministry. He deals with each individual in a personal way, meeting their need, not just in a, a broad concept, but uh, one that approaches their particular need. And here, this leper who has been starved of human touch, Jesus reaches out and touches him. The first touch from an unleprous hand that this man knows comes from the Lord of glory, the God-man, Jesus. A touch that meant more than compassion and acceptance, but also meant cleansing. Verse 42, And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was clean. Mark erupts with our old friend immediately, Euthus. No sooner had the touch occurred than healing changed this man's life. The commentator R.T. France accurately uh, describes the nature of this act. The touch, which should have made Jesus unclean, in fact, worked in the opposite direction. Anything a leper touched was considered ceremonially unclean. Some wonder that 
Jesus would flout convention here as the leper flouts convention and ritual by drawing near to clean people. So Jesus flouts the same ritual by reaching out and touching him. But Jesus really isn't flouting convention. For he is not reaching out to be defiled. He is reaching out to clean the defiled. There is no sense in which any form of ceremonial impurity can infect the Holy One of God, the One who is God and man. The story clearly represents the purity of Jesus, a purity that overcomes the natural order, the order of sin and misery and decay that is reversed by the touch of Jesus. Leprosy does not come unto Jesus. Purity comes from Jesus to the leper. For leprosy, decay, and death cannot touch the God-man. It seems rather early in the sermon to talk about the gospel, but that's where we are. For my friends, we are the lepers. We are born contaminated by sin, suffering the corruption that leads to death, isolated from all the company of the holy that we need to find true peace and humanity. We are... in the shambling dead life. We may put on the robes of respectability. We may use the conveniences of this modern world to insulate ourselves from the frightful truth, but underneath we hide the evidence of our misery and horror. The only thing that separates us from this leper is that he knew he was broken, and we often spend our lives trying to deny that we are. And he knew that nothing could change his life of hell. But he had faith that one could. He knew that he could do nothing to get him out of his situation. But he had faith in the one who could. For that one is Jesus. In healing the leper, Jesus shows what his whole life would accomplish. Something no one else could do. That by his touch he would reach out and touch the defiled and make them clean. Even the Old Testament stories of healing of lepers didn't have this involved in them. This was a story only Jesus could be a part of, to reach out and touch the the defiled and make them clean. He could only do that because he was God and man, born to die on the cross as the perfect perfect sacrifice. To shed his blood there, of the blood that washes away the impurity of sin. For his touch of sinners does not bring their defilement upon him, but drives away our sin and brokenness. In fact, it is because he took and satisfied our defilement upon the cross that his touch can have this power. He rose from the grave to prove that death, decay, and defilement could not hold him or his people. His life proves that he can and he will drive away death for all who believe in him. Do you believe that what Jesus did, he did for you? Would you say, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean, for he will. Turn from sin and follow him so that you may experience the purity of of holiness. But secondly, we see the pure peace of worship. So great a healing, and yet the story isn't over. We'd like to stop there, and many of the Gospels do. Many of the other synoptic Gospels stop here, but Mark, ironically, contains a fuller account of this healing healing than the other synoptics. 
which is really strange because when you think about it, this is Mark. It's supposed to be quick and spiffy and short, and yet Mark lingers here. Mark discusses the charge that Jesus gives to the former leper. He warns him regarding the secret and commands him to perform the sacrifice according to the Old Testament. One of the reasons that commentators discuss the issue of the word wrath in verse 41 appears in verse 43. And, straight, and he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away. Mark uses harsh language to indicate the severity of Jesus' charge to the former leper. Mark only uses this verb, straightly charged, in verse in verse uh, 43, in Mark 14, verse 5, to refer to the grumbling and snorting of the people about the waste of money and the anointing of Jesus in the house of, ironically, Simon the leper. In fact, that is uh, one of the uh, theories about where this word comes from is that it is onomatopoeia, you know, pop, whiz, bang, the, the words that sound like that which they refer to it's, the, it's thought to be onomatopoeia for the snorting of a horse. And this is uh, what the Lord says. The other verb that he uh, uses here, he not only, Jesus straightly charged him, he urges him, he says that something very severe to him, but the word here is sent him away, is ekbalo, cast him out. And when you put this together, what... Mark is emphasizing here is that Jesus is telling this leper, go do this, do it now, get it done. He shoes the leper away, get this done and do it now. And Jesus orders silence. Verse 44, and saith unto him, see that thou, see thou say nothing to any man. Literally, look. To no one, nothing say. Jesus gives the leper a task. And instead of this being a secret, because it's not really a secret, because the leper is going to publicly display his healing to the priest, instead, I take this as being a sign of immediacy. Do this, do it now, don't stop to talk about it. There are no side missions in this quest. You go and you do this, and you don't get distracted. For this task is so supremely important that even casual talk must be halted until the work is finished. So I suggest that we see, uh, against many who want to see that, that Mark is, some, uh, is dealing with some messianic secret, or this is evidence of the messianic secret, uh, secret that what... Jesus is saying to this man with the harshness and the casting out is, go do this and don't stop to talk to people about it. You have a mission. Go do it. Don't get distracted. For the mission takes place in Jerusalem. Look at verse 44. Go thy way, show thyself to the priests, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Jesus sends the former leper off to do what the Old Testament commanded for those who were healed from leprosy. The idea of the testimony at the end of verse 44 probably has to do 
with the testimony and evidence of healing that was necessary for the reentry of the former leper into the people of God, into the society of worshipers. This evidence would permit this man, who was forbidden from even going into the city, to be able to enter into the temple, to offer sacrifices, and to participate in the public corporate worship of God's people. And this idea of evidence might even go so far as the priest uh, giving the uh, leper something to take back to his home and synagogue to participate in synagogue worship as well. We see the puzzle here between the flouting a convention of the leper and Jesus to the demand of obedience that Jesus requires. R.T. France again notes the puzzle of the passage when he writes, There is a delicate balance in this pericope which sets up an intriguing tension with regard to Jesus' attitude to the ritual law. And I disagree with the characterization of a delicate balance. This is the robust act of the lawgiver with authority stating that the requirements of the law for this leper needed to be observed immediately. The one who touches lepers and then commands them to act according to the law of Moses. Again, Mark's Gentile Roman readers may not have understood what intricacies the Mosaic law required of lepers who had been cleansed, but they probably knew who Moses was and could envision a sacrifice and celebration of cleansing and evidence needed for restoration into society and corporate worship. And what I think they saw, I think we should see. They see a healer with power and authority commanding the one healed from that which polluted him and excluded him from worship to prioritize the work of getting back to worship. They see the one who has authority and who heals with his touch by almighty power telling the leper, all right, this is task one. Don't do anything else in harsh terms, casting it out. Go do this. Do it now. Don't stop to talk it to anyone. Get yourself back into the place where you can rejoin the people of God and worship. Why do I say that worship is a part of that? Where does he send him? To Jerusalem, to the priest, to the place where God's people worshipped the one true God. We have seen the nature of leprosy as a metaphor for sin, but here we see the spiritual facts plain before us. For Jesus knows that the leper's worst problem was not the disease, but its impediment to the worship of the Lord. The leper's worst problem wasn't necessarily that he was dying from leprosy, but that in his life he was forbidden from drawing near to God, being ceremonially unclean. Jesus understands that the most important thing for the former leper to do is to return to worship. Yes, returning to the temple would be his number one priority, which nothing and no one should hinder. I think commentators miss this due to their obsession with secrets and anger, and they fail to realize the severity and importance of worship in the Bible. Jesus' severe words and his casting out of the leper reflect the jealousy of the Lord for his own worship. Is It should not surprise us that the God-man 
has such a, an interest in getting his people back to worship that he is severe with them. It should not surprise us who have just gone through Exodus and seen the severity of the Lord for his own worship to see that God-man being severe to the leper to urge him back into that worship. Now you may say to me, but isn't Jesus the God-man? Isn't worshiping him what is to be done? Yes, but the time of the worship of God being everywhere is yet to come. Jesus prophesies that in John chapter 4, where he says that, yes, Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship, but the time is near when neither in Jerusalem in this mountain. That time is not yet. And so Jesus is still telling people to be faithful to the place of, of worship. And yet one day the veil will tear, and God's worship will be done in all places. I want us to see Jesus' passion for the worship of God and to confront us with the question, do we share his passion for that worship? Do we share that priority that he places on corporate worship? Do we honestly seek the peace of worship? We see the purity of worship and the peace of worship, but finally, I want us to consider the price of fame. Mark seems somewhat ambivalent toward the activity of the former leper. He uses positive terms to describe his disobedience. But then he notes the severity of the consequences. Instead of having a sole mission to obey the law and return to worship, the former leper has a different vision of what service to Jesus looks like. Look at verse 45. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. Mark uses the term here uh, when it says uh, publish it much. It's the word kerusa, which is often translated as preach. It's a very positive term. It's we should, you know, we don't think of preaching as being a bad thing. And it's not. And Mark probably Uh, isn't using it in a bad way. It's a positive word that causes commentators to believe that the man is doing good, that this is service to the Lord, this is proclaiming Christ. But it isn't the service that Jesus asked for. It isn't the service that he demanded and required. Perhaps the man thought that this service was better. Better than what Jesus has asked him to do. Jesus knows what this man needs, and it isn't an evangelistic ministry. And yes, evangelism is an important part of the Christian life, but it's not what Jesus gave this leper to do. And I cannot find anything virtuous about its consequences. Look at verse 45. Insomuch that Jesus could not, could not no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. One commentator expresses it well. James Edwards, in his commentary, writes, Mark began the story with Jesus on the inside and the leper on the outside. At the end of the story, Jesus is on the outside in the lonely places, and Jesus and the leper have traded places. At the beginning of the story, Jesus could go into the city and the leper can't. At the end of the story, the leper can go into the city and Jesus can't, at least not openly. 
Yes, the crowds go out into the desert places and meet Jesus. Jesus' ministry goes on, but it takes a while before the fanaticism of the fires of this man starts to die down enough for Jesus to get back to doing the earnest teaching and training ministry. Jesus remains outside the city until he manages to return to Capernaum in the next chapter. But even then, the, the effect of the fame lingers as we see in the very next passage, in the very next story. You have men tearing up somebody's roof in order to get to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What have you elevated in importance to that which Jesus requires? The servant does not make his own schedule or determine his own duties. He obeys whatever work the master commands. And Jesus commands service for the good of his people. After all, when he sent this man to the temple, he did so for his good. He says to this former leper, the best thing you can do right now is to go back and worship, is to draw near to the God who has cleansed you and saved you, to get back to what is the basic duty and practice and behavior of God's people. He's telling the leper, go do what is going to cause you blessing and reward. And the former leper disobeys to his own hurt. He disobeys needlessly. Yes, the leper did a good thing, but the leper didn't do the best thing. He didn't do what Jesus commanded him to do. It reminds us that you can do good things in disobedience. When we allow our priority and what we think is the best thing to overrule what the Bible says is the best thing. For the Bible alone sets the priorities of God's people. And the first duty, I have argued and will continue to argue probably until I'm blue in the face, is the duty of worship. The first duty always brings us back to the source of blessing, of peace, of hope, and of joy. The first duty always puts us at the feet of the Savior. The first duty is born evidence of in the story of Mary and Martha. The story of the leper at the end is the story of Mary and Martha right, written small. The Lord Jesus commands us in worship to observe the Lord's Supper. He places a priority on this event. For it is where we abandon all of our internal wisdom and submit our time, our talents, and our tasks to the order the Savior gives them. It is where we remember why we find ourselves forgiven and clean. It is where we remember that despite all the things we do to insulate ourselves from the brokenness of sin and misery in this world, we come to the true healing of sin and misery. It is where we remember that his blood purifies the broken body which has touched us and made us whole.
It's where we remember why we follow his priorities. It's where we remember that his priorities always lead us back to the source of peace and joy in the presence of God our Savior. Let's pray together. O Lord, forgive us for our arrogance when we think ourselves wiser than you. Humble our hearts with the vision of the greatness of our cleansing. How defiled we were and how clean you are making us. Sternly charge us to the importance of your worship and give us grace. For the sake of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.